I'm Brett. He is Greg. That is Randy Backman and Neil Young. That is indeed. Some Prairie Town. Good good call bringing that one out. That's from what, like 1993, I think? I will have to uh, defer to our producer, Jeff Forche, to get the year of publication on that song. A little bit of exaggeration, of course, going on. They're factoring some wind chill that may or may not happen ever. But, you know, 50 below. We get the idea. It's really flipping cold there from time to time. We get it, Randy. We get it, Neil. It's inspiring. 92 year? That's pretty good. That's pretty good when you can get those two to talk about their hometown in song. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's where we'll start our afternoon. And that's talking about Portage in Maine. Keith McCullough, Global News, CJOB, joining us in studio. And Keith, uh, the mayor, says, hey, everybody's on side here. Aside from the public, of course, but the property owners are saying, yeah, we're into this. Yeah, it's not a done deal, but I would call it a big step forward, guys. And we know Brian Bowman has had this as one of his real pet projects since even before he became mayor. Right during the election campaign a couple years ago, he was talking about opening Portage in Maine and what an opportunity Portage in Maine could be. And to his credit, what, however you think this should go, whether you want it opened or not, you have to, I guess, admire how he's stuck to this and he's doing his darndest to try and follow through with some vision on what could happen here at Portage in Maine. And I guess behind the scenes, he's been working on the property owners. Which, so, of course, has been a big stumbling block. They ha- they essentially have final say. For anyone who, who doesn't know, Portage in Maine, we all are aware it's closed. It's been closed since the late 1970s. And basically, the property owners signed a deal there and they kind of have carte blanche final say on whether it ever reopens. And Bowman is revealing today that all of the uh, key businesses there, BMO Bank of Montreal, Artist Street, Harvard Developments, Richardson, Scotiabank, you know, all the big towers at Portage and Maine, he's now got letters of support from all of them to the idea of opening things up uh, to pedestrians crossing at Portage and Maine. Here was the mayor from a little bit earlier as part of a news conference announcing another big story today, an expansion of Red River College. I've been saying for some time that uh, the support from the property owners was key and we we now have that and so it is exciting. There's no imminent plans that you should be expecting. Those conversations are ongoing and uh, they have shifted from simply talking about removing barricades for pedestrians to how do we build a better connected downtown, how do we work with uh, those that are investing you know hundreds of millions of dollars in and around the Portage and Main area and the downtown and so um, those discussions will largely dictate the timing of when we'll ultimately have an administrative report for council's consideration. I'd like to see it sooner than later but it's not imminent. And so that's the key. It's not like we're going to be walking across Portage and Main tomorrow just because the property owners have expressed support. It's probably guys conditional support right like Sure, I'm open to the idea, but let's keep talking about this and let me know how much it's actually going to cost me. Show me some details. How much business might I lose down in the, you know, Winnipeg Square and and that type of thing. And and Bowman is saying that it's going to take a while. We're going to continue the discussion. Now, there was supposed to be a report on some of the logistics here and how much this might cost and something for city council to sink their teeth into by this spring. Remember, Bowman said he wanted to have it open by the summer for the Canada Games. He's now saying that's not going to happen. So nothing is imminent here. We'll see when we maybe get a report made public on exactly what's coming next. One city councillor in particular, in fact, filed a FIPA request uh, to find out what the status of 
of this report. And so are we to take from Mayor Bowman's comments that this report isn't, in fact, finished yet? Well, here's a, a note I received from the key spokesperson, the head spokesperson at the mayor's office. His name's Jonathan Hildebrand. Uh, an administrative report is being prepared. So that would imply to me that it's not done, is being prepared. I guess you can read a, a few different things into that. And we'll be coming forward for council's consideration in the near future. So it, it sounds like it's, it could, Bowman was actually asked, what are we talking this year, 2017? He wouldn't guarantee that timeline so i would think guys it could be anywhere from a few weeks from now to several months from now i guess depending on how the discussions go with the property owners but here's a good explanation from bowman partly on why it's taking so long he's saying he wants to do more than just take the barriers down and let people walk across portage in maine they're looking at how to best make portage in maine a true sort of destination spot and make it fit within the bigger picture of our new downtown. We need to have the vision of downtown as a whole and we need to realize that while investments are being made at True North Square, at the uh, you know parcel four and the rail side lands in the exchange, these 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 areas are, are connected and right now one of those obstacles is Portage and Main and we want to make sure that uh, any investments that are being made there are going to support uh, the, the linkages between those important emerging areas in downtown. It sounds almost like he's so confident now, guys, that he's gotten the support of the business owners that he wants to sort of almost go a step further than just opening the intersection. What extra cool stuff can we do there? How much extra money and, and projects can we do there to really tie together the forks and the exchange and True North Square and the area around MTS Center and kind of bring everything together? And that goes to the, the whole other conversation that we've had a million times about getting people downtown and making downtown Winnipeg sort of a, a place to be instead of a place to avoid. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We want your feedback. We're already getting a number of text messages as well at 204-780-6868. You can also email gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. This is an interesting text, and we're going to try to get to as many as we can, but this one jumps out at me because it's not something I've ever actually heard before, and, I wonder, and I'll put it to you guys. For Fortage in Maine... Once a traffic cycle, just stop all traffic and make it a scramble, always, even diagonally, for a minute or whatever. No cost, problem solved. This is something, I guess, that probably is, now that I'm, I'm sort of picturing, is it Times Square where they do this, or is there somewhere where they do this in the world? Well, Tokyo is the maybe one of the more That's famous the places yeah. that they yeah, do Young it. Young and Dundas in Toronto is a scramble intersection. Anyone who's been to Toronto, they've sort of turned it into kind of a mini version of Times Square and they use the scramble where every once in a while all four directions will stop and you can just cross diagonally and come back diagonally and go the other way diagonally and cross however you want for that x amount of time that the intersection is is open to pedestrians it's a bit crazy it's a bit of a of a free-for-all but maybe that's a little easier uh on those in their vehicles if you just kind of get it all out of the way (laughs) at once like that would it be harder on pedestrians? Or like, how long do you, I've not I've not been to this intersection? It sounds like. Have you been to this inter, to Young and Dundas? Yeah, I have. I was there uh, a year and a half ago or so. How long did you wait as a pedestrian? Do you recall? It's it almost favors. I think whenever you go that way, it tends to sort of favor, and that's why a lot of Winnipeg drivers are not 
super on board with this because it tends to favor the pedestrian. Like it feels like you get a lot of time to cross if you're a pedestrian. And there's been a concerted effort to sort of make that whole area in downtown Toronto pedestrian friendly in an area where you're biking or walking or using, dare I say it, public transit or rapid transit uh, instead of driving. And so it's kind of become sort of an anti-car movement there. So I remember not having to wait very long at all ever when I was a pedestrian and feeling like there was a ton of time to get across the intersection any way I wanted to when I finally did. If anything, I think I would have been more frustrated, certainly, if I'd been behind the wheel and one in of the that le- area. One of the legitimate concerns about this in terms of reopening Portage and Maine to pedestrians is the fact that Winnipeg doesn't have many alternate east-west or major north-south routes in that part of the city. It genuinely is a place that people pass through because there are no other options. And that's different than Toronto or New York or... You can take freeways and go or take the subway or take something else to avoid that area, whereas drivers and those who are against opening Portage and Main say, where else are we going to go right. if you open Portage You're and Main to pedestrians? You're sort of funneled and forced to go that way, even if you are a proponent of the concept of welcoming people as pedestrians to Portage and Main. There is a potential engineering nightmare and a traffic jam nightmare that may go along with this. Uh, I think it, it it will be worth the study to figure out what that actually looks like as opposed to guessing what it will look like. And uh, I think this conversation, as you said, Keith, is a long way from over and I think we are years away I think from seeing these barricades I think we're gone. still a long way away Brett but I, I think we are probably closer yes. than we've ever been in the so. sense that I can't remember in my lifetime ever hearing that the property owners at Portage and Maine were actually all saying yeah okay yeah. Let's look at this. we're okay with this let's at least look at this and maybe maybe it's something we can really do so in that way we're probably still a year or two at least away. But when you look at the 30, 40 years that, that it's been closed, we're probably the closest we've ever been now to finally seeing some movement on opening Portage and Maine. Global News reporter Keith McCullough joining us live in studio. We want your thoughts at 204-780-6868. We are getting a ton of text messages at that number. If you want to call us at 204-780-6868, we would love to hear your voice and your feedback on this issue. It's just one of those issues that I think almost everybody has an opinion about. And I think that's what's great about this discussion is... It's, there are so many branches to this tree of discussion in terms of what's right, what's wrong. Who knows? That's why we want to see this study. Hopefully it one day sees the light of day. 204-780-6868. Again, email gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com. Your forecast is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Your thoughts on Portage and Maine at 204-780-6868. The texts started rolling in when we first mentioned it with Jeff Courier. And one of them, the first one that came in, I think, is dumbest idea since closing Portage and Maine. <laughs> To pedestrian traffic. <laughs> That's where it started, right? Yeah. That was the first text. Yeah. Dumbest idea <laughs> since closing Portage and Maine to pedestrian traffic is the idea of reopening <laughs> it to pedestrian traffic. There is so much in that sort of innocuous, brilliant, and very humorous st- statement, right? So much to unpack from that. 
because uh, it is. It is equally as stupid that we're talking about reopening it as we were talking about closing it in the mid-70s. For sure. You get used to something, and right now it's just the way it is, and the idea of reopen it is such a foreign concept. Tristan Field-Jones joins us in studio to offer his feedback, along with Julie Buckingham, co-host of the news, and... You both have opinions on this. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. We'll start with, we'll go ladies first. Oh, that's Tristan. lovely. I'm just, I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Julie Buckingham. Oh, we are actually going with Julie. I was a little <laughs> confused there for a second. We're going to go with Julie. <laughs> uh, I've actually been pretty vocal about this and and even brought it up with some officials saying we need to make that more of a destination than it already is. Um, big fan of the amazing race. When you watch, for example, these teams race into these big cities, they are offered some pretty cool challenges at a very iconic spots. And when you think Winnipeg, you think Portage and Maine. Um, I've been to Vegas. I've been to other places. They have zip lines, and I'm people maybe she's crazy, but I mean, can you imagine doing a zip line like kitty corner between two buildings at Portage and Maine? It would be fantastic. Another one of those... Uh, if not horrifying, but I agree with you. If you, if that's your cup of tea, that would be spectacular. Absolutely, it would. And I think there's also th- these companies that will lift the crane in the air and they will offer dinner. Dinner in the sky. Dinner in the sky. Amazing. I mean, Montreal has something like that, I think. Why are we not capitalizing on the fact that this intersection has been notorious for so long. It's written about in songs. People know it around the world. And you get there and you can't even really take a decent picture. Well, you say uh, give more reasons to go there. There actually really isn't a reason to go there. The Richardsons, I have to commend them. They've installed some beautiful public art around the Richardson building, right. uh, which is uh, one reason, I suppose, to go down there. There's the uh, statue of the World War One soldier in front of the uh, BMO. But outside of that, unless the Jets are coming back to Winnipeg, and we've already done that, or, uh, there's or no the real Bombers reason. win the Grey Cup. Right, you know, so it, it is has been a place of celebration, and it, it, why, it, it why, really lacks why are something. we not embracing that? We, know. You know, the Jets come back, the... The Blue Bombers win the Grey Cup. Everyone flocks down there, and as a, and so do the police because they got to control the crowd because there's nowhere for them to go and sell. It's time to, yes, I understand you go through there for work every single day and you don't want to be slowed down. I understand that, but at the I same, go through there every day myself, twice the, a day. At the same time, it is something to embrace, and if we want to push our city forward, we need to start thinking like a big city, like big cities do around the world. Tristan. I am, uh, when it comes to what to do with the intersection, my thoughts are kind of along what Julie was saying, do something with it. There's, it's, it's a landmark. It is known across the country, around the world. Do something with it. If we choose to keep it, to keep it closed, have a walkway that goes over it and maybe make part of that walkway, I don't know, transparent or something like that. Put, give us a reason to go down there. If we choose to open it, put a Scrabble intersection in there, but do something with it. I, I feel as if in... In Winnipeg, we are horrible at wasting potential. I, I'll use um, Chicago, I think, has a fantastic example of this. It's called the Millennium Park. Number one tourist destination in Chicago and one of the top 10 in the U.S. They get millions upon millions of visitors every single year. 
And basically, it's a park built over old rail yards. And for the longest time, there were parking lots, maybe some storage depots. It was There was no reason to go there. They did something with it. If we want a local example, look at the forks. The forks were rail yards. It was mostly parking lots. What did we do with it? It took time, but we did something with it. It's like our waterfront. There's so much potential along our waterfront. And what are we doing? Nothing. So... I mean, when it comes to you know opening it up to pedestrians, that's something where I'm 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 unsure about whether or not it should stay it should be open or it should stay closed. But my overall point is do something with it. This is a landmark. This is a destination. So make it a landmark. Make it a destination. Do something with it. We got a text message at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. My friend is a traffic engineer and did a thesis about opening Portage in Maine. The conclusion he drew is that based on today's traffic volumes and the complex nature of the intersection, it would be one of the worst decisions for the day-to-day commuters. Julie, that ties into one of the points you were making. Look, I know, I know, it would slow you down a little bit, but. But potent- but there are workarounds like like Tristan is suggesting. Maybe we do an overhead walkway that that is wider and that that is you know a glass floor, so to speak. I mean, why do you think that they're so successful at places like the CN Tower and people are clamoring to walk across that? I think it's it's time. There are workarounds. I think we can. We're grown-ups. We can figure out some compromises to keep everybody happy. And I, I guess I guess if you can walk out over the mouth and the giant gate that is the Grand Canyon, you can pretty much construct anything you could want you out of plexiglass, like right? Could you imagine like a circle right in the middle of Portage sure. and Maine? It would be awesome. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. So many text messages. We're going to try to get to some of them. Uh, we I don't think we'll be able to get to all of them. It's a landslide, uh, an avalanche of text messages. <laughs> uh, but feel free to send us your emails as well to brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. The news, and by the way, Julie Buckingham, thank you. You're Tristan Field-Jones, thank you. Sure the thing. news coming up next. I'm Brett, he's Greg. Traffic tip for you. Lights flashing red in all directions at the intersection of St. Mary's and Fermore. Again, lights flashing red all directions. St. Mary's and Fermore. St. Mary's really backed up northbound. Police just arriving on scene. That's not a bad spot at all for that kind of thing to happen. We're talking about another intersection within the city of Winnipeg that, when there are traffic problems, can certainly cause a ton of havoc. Without question, we've seen barricades uh, just south of Portage Avenue, southbound Main Street in the curb lanes. Uh, Those uh, popped up, I think, on Monday. In addition to a software update on the traffic lights, southbound Main Street has been an absolute horrific zone uh, the last three mornings. Uh, They're hoping that they've got that sorted out. But we're talking about the possibility of reopening Portage in Maine. And this is one of, in the radio world, in the talk radio world here in Winnipeg, that's like a softball conversation. We're talking about it today specifically because Brian Bowman, the mayor of Winnipeg, revealed that he has agreement from all the major stakeholders, the property owners at that intersection to investigate the next steps of opening this iconic intersection to pedestrians. Mike is patiently waiting at 204-780-6868. Mike, thank you for your patience. What do you think of the idea of reopening Portage and Main to pedestrians? How many times are we going to change Portage Avenue, Main Street, or this intersection. Well, what, once, under- once so far, Mike. Well, do we really? Does the city of Winnipeg really have the the, the money to be just spending on 
putting up walk, uh, you know, people across the road. Aren't there other things that we could be spending that money on that probably would go to something a lot better than opening up Portage and Maine? Well, and Mike, it's a, I'm glad you bring up that point because that is sort of an echo of many of the text messages we are getting. But let's just take let's take the the money out of the equation for a moment. What do you okay. think of the idea of having Portage and Maine reopen to pedestrians? Well, you know, it's kind of a yeah. Go ahead and open it up. It's probably going to look good. Is it going is, is, is it going to enhance our city any better than what it already is? Like. And who's paying for it? That's the big thing. Let's talk about the money. Do we really, uh, how much is this going to cost? I was downtown, oh, maybe four or five months ago, Portage and Maine. There's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be done. All no, I, and Mike, you know what, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I did specifically say take the money out of it. But but it, it seems, and, and that's, to be fair, if that's what's important to you, that's what's important to you. So in your opinion, in your opinion I'm gathering, Hey, there are better things we could be spending our money on than reopening Portage and Maine. Definitely. And I'm pretty sure the rest of Winnipeg would feel the same way. That, you know, if the Richardsons and the TD and the bank of whoever else is on that corner, you know, they want to rip it down and they want to fork out the money to, you know, to replace Portage and Maine so people can cross the road, fine, let them do it. But, you know, I think there's a lot more other things that we have in the city of Winnipeg that could be fixed other than what is already no problem already. Thanks, Mike. Mike, we appreciate the feedback. I, I would say that not all of Winnipeg would agree, but many Winnipeggers would agree because that is the sentiment we are getting from a lot of people at 204-780-6868. John has just called in to 680-CJOB. Yeah. Hey, John, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I don't think it should be opened up. If, if anything, it, if, it, if it did, it would create jobs. You would have all the squeaky kids out there helping things out. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's another sentiment, John. I'm glad that you brought this up because I'm seeing a lot of that on text messages, people referring to vagrants and what have you. And uh, that that is an, an, it is a thing that I'm seeing more and more. No question. Almost every intersection that I stop at on the way to work has True someone fact. standing there with a sign or, as you pointed out, a squeegee. So imagine all the squeegee people at Portage and Maine. So, John, it's an interesting point. Thank, Thank you. For, you. Thanks for that. I appreciate your thoughts. Ted says, what a waste of money. Spend the money on roads fixing our sewer and water pipes. That's from Fred. Uh, it says Ted here. Uh, it's actually Fred. Okay. We'll uh, fix that uh, on we'll the contact that. card. That's no, okay. Uh, Fred, you know, I hear you, and I understand that infrastructure and basic infrastructure is a gigantic priority. But we have to balance out the spending on all the must-haves and all the essentials to make the city better. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that opening Portage and Maine is going to make Winnipeg a safer city. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's going to make it a tourist destination beyond compare. But what I do know is what I've seen in other communities and I also know once I say this, we will be inundated by text messages. We're not Chicago. We're not New York. We're not Toronto. I get it. But a lot of the ideas and the concepts for design of what works, what attracts people, what keeps people, tourists or citizens, happens in other places. And we see those designs like the mall that runs Memorial Park. That was copied from Paris. It's one of the most beautiful places in the city. Memorial Park towards the legislature, that whole area borrowed from Paris. 
you know, there was a time when Winnipeg thought like the biggest cities in the world. And I think we've gotten away from that. I think we're starting to do it again. And like I said, I just, I've never been anywhere where you can't cross the street. It just, it just seems bizarre to have 150 stories worth of buildings at this intersection. And when you drive through there, it's an oddity to see a human being. James is at 204-780-6868. Hey, James, what do you think? Well, I have talked to dozens of people uh, just doing sort of personal surveys, and I have not yet had one person say, we need to open it up. Um, I know one of our city councillors, I believe uh, Jenny Gerbassi, had said, the people of Winnipeg go to Portage in Maine when something's important, but I think that might have been... 30, 40, 50 years ago. We now have the forks, and uh, I think our efforts should focus around that. Uh, downtown is happening. It's coming along. Obviously, it's got a long way to go, but uh, I'm all for not opening it up. I think it's a waste of money. James, I want to thank you for your opinion. I want to just quickly count. You You mentioned your survey, the dozens yep. of people that... Dozens. So I would like to say, Greg, I'd like to introduce you to Greg Mackling, who just said... <laughs> That he would is a proponent, so now you can say you have spoken to at least one person who yeah, wants to see it open. Go. The second thing is uh, when people, Jer, Jenny Gerbassi said that people go to Portage in Maine when things happen. Yep. 30, you say 30, 40, 50 years ago. Did the Winnipeg Jets come back 30, 40, 50 years ago? And, and in my opinion, they went to the Forks. Well, no, I was at Portage in Maine. They went to Portage in Maine, James. Yeah. And when the announcement was made, was there a giant screen? At the Forks, yeah, but there was also one at Portage and Maine in front of the global uh, building at the intersection of Notre Dame and Portage Avenue. And when the announcement was made unofficially, when the story broke that the NHL was coming back to Winnipeg, everyone flooded to Portage and Maine. I get it. I understand. But I, what I don't understand is why it doesn't seem odd to anybody else or anybody calling in or texting that there are no people there on a regular basis. I just I don't think that that intersection is what it ought to be and what it could be. It's got so much potential. We've got half a dozen phone calls here. Let's uh, let our listeners have the word. James, thank you so much for your feedback. We do appreciate it. Have a good day, okay? You too. All Thanks. right. Craig, you're up next. Hi, Craig. What's your thought on this? Good afternoon, gentlemen. I have to agree with your last couple of callers. I'm against of opening up the, the, the intersection and having people walk in front of cars. You know, a little while ago, somebody mentioned Vegas. I've been to Vegas. And if they want to open it up so bad, then have walkways above the uh, up in the air so people walk above the cars. So the money to open this business, I think it's going to be enormous. Because we could put our money towards roads and water and sewer pipes. Like a week last week, you had a pipe burst on Port Germain, and they said that pipe was replaced, was built in hundred. Uh, be- it was 109 uh, years uh, old. You're right, 109 Craig. 109 years ago. Yep. Now, how many other pipes are going to break in the city of Winnipeg are that old? That money should be put towards infrastructure and never mind opening up Portage and Maine. If, those, if, the, if, the, if the companies on the corners there want that, then build an overpass so they can walk over like in Vegas. Never mind have people walking in front of cars. Hey, Craig, thank you for the thoughts. We do appreciate your feedback at 204-780-6868. The Skywalk idea is a popular one. We're getting a lot of text messages on that. Dustin, what do you think? Uh, I think it all has to come back to the money by the city's own words. We're running a $6 million operating deficit this year to the fact that we've actually put the city of Winnipeg on a hiring freeze. Now, 
in my belief, shouldn't we be dealing with those numbers first before we add to that deficit? That th- This seems more of a luxury than what we actually really need within so, Winnipeg. No more luxury spending, Dustin? It's uh, down to bare bones? Is that your contention? Well, if that's what if that's what the city council's telling the public that we need to stick to, well, wouldn't that make sense? But it, cleaning the roads to me seems more of a priority than opening up a place where people don't really go anyhow. Yeah, well, Dustin, I would agree with you. We got to do a better job of cleaning the roads, doing a better job when we clean them, and doing it more often. So we agree on that a hundred percent. Sure, I agree. Hey, Dustin, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Have yourself a good day. Len is up next at 204-780-6868. Hey, Len, what do you think about this? Hi. Um, well, I'm against opening it for because that's what really the majority of the uh, uh, phone calls I've heard, the majority of the people that I've talked to. My thing is that those uh, four banks and the Richardson building didn't vote in our mayor. The majority voted him in. And why he doesn't represent the majority is beyond me. So you're, you're in your uh, your analysis, you, you say that the majority of Winnipeggers uh, do not want to see the intersection open. Absolutely they don't. And uh, for me, my point is he's uh, the mayor is doing it on his own uh, agenda. He's moving on his own agenda. He's certainly not moving on the majority of what Manitobans, our Winnipeggers, have said or felt or even voiced on uh, CGOB before. But Len, let me let me ask you this. Did did Mayor Bowman not run on that was one of the things he ran on, was it not? Yes, and I voted for Mayor Bowman, but I did not vote for every issue that he brought up. There was key issues that I voted on that I was more in favor of. And one of them what particular, most particular was the money part. Now I know you didn't want to discuss that part, but I'm fine with that, but that is one of the, the most important things to me because we were running deficits, we were we were just going wild. So in my opinion, I thought this mayor was going to bring us in and get us on the right track financially. Now with these little pet projects that he has, which nobody wants the majority doesn't want what I don't understand so it's like a dictatorship and he just pushes it through Len, with his executive committee of course well and Len thank you so much for that and we appreciate it and and just uh, want to quickly uh, it, I'm glad you brought up executive policy we talked about this situation yesterday at 98 Albert where bodegos is we had Bryson Maternick in and there was an issue before uh, executive policy committee that they they voted on approving, redesignating the building from a national historic site, was it, to a commemorative site, which opens the door for redevelopment, and then council did indeed push that through yesterday. They approved it. Uh, we were uncertain when we were on the air as to whether or not it had been passed. So it has been passed, so we're going to revisit that topic, but we have more calls on the line at 204-780-6868, and we will get to Mike, Philip, Roger, and Lisa after your forecast up next. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Portage in Maine. Should they reopen it? Brian Bowman says he's got letters of support from all the key property owners at the intersection. We are getting just a volcano of text messages, including one from Kristen, who says, I am not in favor of opening Portage in Maine, but I've been doing my best to understand the appeal. Greg's point did stick with me about it being odd to not see people. Then again, 
I don't like people, so I'm all good with not seeing them. Viva les antisociales! Kristen, thank you for that. Uh, nice piece of levity there. Thank we you, have Kristen. five minutes. We have four phone calls. Let's see if we can get through this. Lisa has been waiting for 11 minutes. Lisa, thanks for your patience. What do you have to say? No, I don't want to see it opened up. Um, you know what? If we want to gather as a crowd, we have the forks. Uh, we've got a large open area. We've got a nice stage there. Uh, just because it's Portage and Maine doesn't mean anything. We can change that if we want to. Uh, who do we see at, at Portage and Maine? Yeah, the, the uh, banks there. And the uh, owners want to open that up because it's for their it's for their employees. It's those people who might want to cross the road, but they're the ones who know uh, what the underpasses are like, and they can maneuver through those very quickly and very easily. Um, it's um, you know how many how many times a year do we? Or, pardon me, how many times a year? How many times in five years do we get? thousands and thousands of people gathering at Portage and Maine. When's the last time we did that? When the jets came back? We don't do it that often. Nobody wants to be crossing Portage and Maine in the middle of the winter, so that's a moot point. Um, and if you want to stand on the, you know, the windiest corner, you can do that with the barricades up. Leave the barricades with where they are and uh, just get on with, with doing the city, with getting the city fixed up uh, and, and revisit this when I'm dead and gone. <laughs> Lisa, thank you for that. Philip is up next. Hey, Philip, what do you have to say? Yeah, I'd just like to agree with you, last caller. She's right. But give me $50,000 and a quickie saw and some line paint, and I'll open it up for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Phillips is going to rip right through that concrete, paint a couple of lines, we'll be all set. <laughs> Philip, you're hired. Mike is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Mike, what do you have to say? Hey, guys, I have to agree. Uh, first time, long time here. Uh, very unique intersection. Uh, however, there is also a unique solution to that, and it's called Winnipeg Square that gives access to all the businesses. Not to mention, could it potentially hurt the businesses that are operating underneath the city? Um, I just think as far as that goes, it's also a safety issue big time as far as not just traffic clogging the intersections, but also adding pedestrians to that fact. It's uh, If you've ever driven down there from anywhere from 2.30 to 3 o'clock on, it's an absolute madhouse uh, pretty much every day of the year, let alone in snowstorms. Uh, who would want to cross that street in the winter is another thing beyond me. Um, and then uh, I guess my question is, is that like if you're weighing the benefits versus the uh, all the negative aspects of it that everyone seems to be bringing up, uh, what is the overall benefit besides, hey, you can walk up a block off each corner of uh, Portage and Main and cross the street, or you can go underneath the Winnipeg Square again at each corner uh, of Portage and Main. So anyways, that's my thoughts. Mike, thank you for your call, and uh, he's identified himself as a first-time caller. So thank you for making your first call to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Roger, we've got you on the line next. What's your thought? Yeah, the last caller, I exactly agree with him. As far as the traffic, you know, I've been here all my life. And at that point during rush hour, you're going to have the odd person trying to basically trying to run through and is Brian Bowman prepared to uh, be personally responsible for somebody getting seriously hurt or injured? There's no reason, I mean no reason, to have that open. Really, there isn't, especially because of the traffic. 
Roger, you, thank you for the call at 204-780-6868. I think it's safe to say, Greg, that, uh, I mean, the calls were unanimous. Uh, and the one, from what I'm gleaning from the text messages as they're coming in, yep. the overwhelming thought in terms of giving pedestrians access there is a skywalk of some sort. Put it over the street like they do in Las Vegas, which I actually, I would be, I'd be down with that. I think that would be, you mentioned that it's super fun. It's kind of neat to do that in Las Vegas. I think that would be great. But the one potentially impractical side would be for somebody who is either, you know, say someone who is elderly or disabled, because I can't imagine having an outdoor, like an escalator when it's minus 30. The escalators don't really work very well in snowstorms. The ideas are fantastic. A lot of people suggest that this intersection was closed because of the traffic. It was not closed because of the traffic. It was closed because there was a trend to move to create an inner an indoor walkway throughout the entire downtown. That was part of the impetus. We've seen it in Montreal along St. Catharines. They've got the underground city in Montreal. It works super well there. I get it. I really do. But in Montreal, you also see people walking above ground on the streets. And this was supposed to be a much bigger, much grander vision for Portage and Maine that just never really materialized. This conversation will go on. I think, Lisa, uh, I hope you're young and you live for another 60 years <laughs> as much as we're or more as much as we're talking about this today as imminent. Uh, this conversation could go on for a very long time. And hopefully we can revisit some of this conversation after 3 o'clock and get to some of the hundreds of text messages that have come in. Thank you to each and every one of you who weighed in, and thank you for your feedback. I know that Greg and I have sort of been, and we had Tristan and Julian here earlier, who are sort of proponents for opening the intersection, but we appreciate all of your opinions saying, no, keep it closed. It's Daffodil Day. We're going to talk about that after News at 2 o'clock on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett. He is Greg Mackling. This is 680 CJOB. And, oh, there was something in our news queue. Hang, hang on a second. Here it is. Greg, you mentioned something about slow traffic on southbound Maine. Yeah. We, got a, we got a statement from the city of Winnipeg. Oh. Over the, several, the past several days, there has been issues with traffic congestion in the downtown area during rush hour. The current congestion is mainly caused by temporary lane closures on southbound Main Street between Portage Avenue and Graham Avenue. The lane closures on Main Street are expected to be in place until May 12th. In an effort to alleviate some of the congestion, the city will be installing additional signs near these lane closures to direct traffic to make the required lane changes in advance of the closure for a smoother transition the city's transportation management center is monitoring the current congestion and has looked at altering signal timings to improve traffic flow. However, there are no beneficial opportunities for timing changes at this time as extending green time on Main Street will have a domino effect across the downtown and will create congestion on all other streets in the area, including Portage. So on Tuesday, during a software update of the traffic signals management system, some intersections were temporarily disconnected from the signal system. The issue was fixed Tuesday afternoon and is no longer contributing to traffic congestion in the downtown. Sorry, that was a little bit lengthier than I anticipated. No, it just came in as a great explanation. Flash. As gobbledygook, you didn't write the gobbledygook. <laughs> Basically, someone had to unplug a computer wait a couple of days and then plug it back in and now now we're all right back at it and you know what would solve a lot of that stuff in situations like that is just good old-fashioned traffic cops yep you know 
put a traffic cop in there because they can see, they can figure out what's going on. They can direct people uh, around these closures. If this is only going through to May 12th, put a couple traffic cops on there. And uh, you know what? Instead of just leaving it to our own devices and these poorly placed signs, people are horrible at signaling their intention to change lanes and and realize at the last moment they need to do so anyway. Give us a little bit of help here. If I'm just going to go on the side of the people that want Portage and Maine to remain closed to pedestrians. If this really is the major traffic thoroughfare that it is, and I would never argue that it's not, uh, put the right amount of attention, you know, no matter the day of the week here, to make sure that people get through there sufficiently. So hey, maybe we're just getting a little bit of a, a litmus test about what it would look like if uh, Portage, Maine was uh, reopened to pedestrians. That was a suggestion at 7806868. And the last one, and then we'll get on to uh, this half hour's topic, uh, turn the concourse into an underpass for vehicle traffic and Bowman can turn that whole area into a sidewalk park. That from Mike. <laughs> Okay. Would you like to introduce our guest? I certainly would. Susanna Scott joins us here. She's been with us several times here in studio on a variety of different topics, including uh, cancer awareness, colorectal cancer in particular. Her husband passed away because of his battle, his, I guess uh, we would call it, unfortunately, Susanna, unsuccessful battle with colorectal cancer, a very brave one. And Susanna shares his story, her experience uh, in such a colorful and uh, heartwarming way we wanted to bring her back today is daffodil day april 27th that's uh, in honor of cancer awareness and barry stein is the president of the colorectal cancer association of canada he too is a colorectal cancer survivor and barry uh joins us from montreal barry thanks for taking some time with us on this uh special day for anybody who has an association with cancer fair to say good afternoon great to be here thanks for having me i would say Susanna, what does this day mean to you? Well, it's an opportunity to talk about the issue and hence the awareness. It's a great opportunity for that. Why do you share your story, your experience, your husband's battle uh, so openly? Why do you do that? Well, I think it's important uh, for people to relate to, you know, the the whole battle of cancer. You know, you're not alone. Uh, Many people have experienced it, you know, some successfully, some not. And uh, so this whole paradigm, Barry, you know, one scenario, myself, another, I think it's important people get both sides. Barry was a survivor. That's wonderful. I, on the other hand, you know, experienced the other, you know, the other hands, the, the cards that were dealt. So these perspectives are very important and the journey as a result of, of you know, what both myself, through my husband and Barry, you know, in his life, it's important people understand and also gives hope because we don't only talk about the past, we talk about today and also the future moving forward. See, that's that's the whole awareness. It's not so much yesterday and today. Yes, that's a great part. But also the future. See, that's that's the key, the glue to, to okay, now what do we do with all of this? What is the future, Barry, for those that there are going to be people in Canada diagnosed with colorectal cancer today? There's probably someone sitting in a doctor's office somewhere in Canada in the last handful of minutes who's received that news. What is the future for them? You know, I I think Susanna uh, really expressed uh, something that's extremely important, and that's the the hope factor. 
so, first of all, there is not one type of colorectal cancer or colon cancer or rectal cancer uh, type of patient. Uh, there are many different types. Even uh, those who are said to be at the a similar stage of disease, each person is different. And we're finding that out more and more often that there are different genetic profiles and Many of you have heard the words uh, personalized medicine and precision medicine and so forth, but really we're coming uh, to a point where we're starting to genetically profile people and understand the disease sites different. So we have a, a lot of hope with some of the new therapies that will be coming down the pipeline, particularly in immunotherapies and so forth, targeted therapies, that this will make a huge difference. Uh, today, we're already, uh, you know, so much more advanced than when I had colorectal cancer. When I started with my disease uh, in 1995, when there was only one uh, type of product that was used, and that had been used for the previous 40 years prior to that. Today, we have a buffet of products which are used in, in, in different fashions and combinations, new surgical techniques, new diagnostic techniques, and, and new screening techniques as well to catch them and prevent the disease before it even becomes a cancer. So I think, you know, summing it up with the, the one word that Susanna used is hope, uh, is that we are hopeful that one day we will have a complete cure. We are even more hopeful and really uh, can do this even right now is we, ha we can work much better in terms of preventing the disease in the first place. So I think a lot of our focus has been at the Colorectal Cancer Association on prevention as well as as much as the treatment side of it. Barry, do you know what the significance of the daffodil is? Why it's Daffodil Day? Uh, you know what? I'm ready to learn. <laughs> no, okay. I was hoping you would know, but I'm sure a quick uh, Google search on my end, I can uncover that. Let me ask you this, Barry. Uh, instead of, of uh, asking you about the history, let me ask you about symptoms. If there's somebody listening to this radio station who really doesn't know what what the, the symptoms might be, uh, you, you, you experienced this. So what led you to, to seek medical attention? So, you know, one of the, the most amazing things about this disease is it can, prevent, it can present itself in many different ways. And, uh, for example, um, you may have any of the things that I'm about to mention, any single one of them, and even a combination of them, and it may be something completely different. It may not be colon cancer. It may be some other sort of digestive disease. Uh, you could have constipation, well, let's just call it a change in bowel habits because it could be either constipation or diarrhea, but it's something different. It's, it's presenting differently. Narrow stools is, a, is something to be concerned about over, uh, not just once, but over an extended period of time. It may signify that the colon is somehow uh, congested or that there's something in the colon that's making it come out that way. Abdo unexplained abdominal cramps. cramps. Uh, blood uh, uh, is a very important uh, thing to look for, blood in your stool. But that could also be hemorrhoids. So that's what I'm saying. It's not, um, it's not necessarily just because you have some blood in your stool that you have colon cancer. But it may be the symptom, for example, of a bleeding polyp. Unexplained weight loss or loss of appetite. A sense of fullness, on the other hand. All unexplained nausea and vomiting, uh, orgasm, and bloating or feeling very tired may signify that you're anemic, for example, then you lose a lot of blood internally, you may feel tired always. So 
So these are just some of the factors that may, you know, may make you aware. And certainly if you have any of these or certainly a combination of these, you want to see your physician to be checked out. I have just, just so everybody knows, I have found the answer on the Daffodil Day. Uh, Look at you. Uh, History of Daffodil Day, according to the Irish Cancer Society, says that the Daffodil Day concept originated in Canada six days ago, six decades ago. The Canadian Cancer Society began using the daffodil in the 1950s, representing the first flower of spring. It has proven an iconic symbol of hope and cancer research and awareness since and has become the logo of cancer societies around the world. You are a genius, Brett McGarry. <laughs> My Google Brett, food is I think soft. we're going to have to find a flower for uh, colon cancer, so I think keep that, I think that would be a great idea. Why don't we uh, step aside? Uh, we'll come back and update the weather forecast and then more conversation. Susanna Scott is here. She's going to share a little more about her husband's story and her journey with colorectal cancer, how it's affected her life, why she's here today. And Barry Stein, he is the president of the Colorectal Cancer Association of Canada on this April 27th, Daffodil Day, in honour of cancer awareness. It's 220-221 here in the city of Winnipeg, 680 CJOB, it's Daffodil Day. And uh, that is the flower that recognizes uh, cancer. And today we are visiting with Susanna Scott, her husband. You know, Susanna, what was your husband's name? James Scott. James Scott. Mm-hmm. When did he pass away? Uh, July 28th, 2015. And since then, and even before then, you've been very active, not only of bringing awareness to cancer, colorectal cancer, but also been an advocate for people who deal with things other than cancer. So I just wanted to recognize you for that today Mm -hmm. because it's not easy to be here and to share this story. And Barry Stein is here with us. He's actually joining us from Montreal. He is the president of the Colorectal Cancer Association of Canada. And we've discussed, you know, what the future looks like for someone who might be getting that that diagnosis today of, of, you know, colon cancer or some other other form of cancer. Uh, It doesn't even have to be. Um, associated with the the discussion we're having today, maybe it's breast cancer or or some other form of this uh, disease that so many of us detest, that we hate. We've seen the shirts uh, F cancer, and uh, it spells it right out. It's one of the only popular T-shirts where you can actually, I think, people are comfortable with you using all four letters of that four-letter word. Susanna, uh, we know that there are advances in research and medicines and treatments. But as is typical, as those treatments become available, they aren't available necessarily to everyone. And so access to treatment becomes a big issue, fair to say? Yes. Uh, It's uh, an unfortunate reality to a certain extent, but yes, where uh, how that affected my husband and I was when we came to the knowledge of having that disease Um, Of course, we did research and we listened to what the doctors here in Manitoba, what they had to say. And by the way, they were very helpful and knowledgeable. They really were. However, we took it upon ourselves to um, go full throttle in terms of the search. And um, one of the journeys uh, where it took us, we went down to the Mayo Clinic. And um, the approach there was very, very different, where um, you had accessed to, to whatever the treatments that they felt through through proper prognosis and, and di- the, the diagnosis itself, uh, what they would recommend, um, they were there. And it's just a matter of 
right now this afternoon. If you want, we'll do this right now. And that was one major difference that we found from being here in Canada with, with our system. So what we did was we did we did practice and implement some of Mayo, uh, Mayo Clinic's treatments and, and other supplementary treatments, which what I called um, before I had mentioned uh, the alternative treatments. So we did it all. Hence, that was one of the major factors why Jim's life was so extended. And, uh, and he lived with it for years, for a few years. And um, so the accessibility, I find, was quite an interesting experience to learn you know, how some some medicine, if you want to call it that, are accessible in certain jurisdictions and in others it's not. Barry, we have a text here at 204-780-6868 from one of our listeners. His name is Dean. And Dean says, good afternoon. I often text to CJOB on various programs, but I am happy to hear this topic today. I am at home resting today after having a colonoscopy this morning. I had a clean bill of health in the test but my grandfather and father both had colon cancer in their 70s and 60s, respectively. They both beat the disease after surgery and radiation. I'm in my mid-40s. I go for the procedure every three years. Today was my third one. After watching my grandfather and father go through the disease, a few hours of being humbled is not hard to take. Get checked. The alternative is horrific. Barry, what's your reaction to this? Well, I think that's pretty typical of somebody who's had a um, uh, had a colonoscopy, colonoscopy, particularly when uh, it's been uh, a clean one and everything is is well. And because people, I think, have this sort of uh, built up fear uh, about uh, getting scoped for colon cancer. Sometimes it's the fear of the scope, or sometimes it's the fear of the preparation for it, or uh, or, or in some cases, they're just afraid what what the doctor might find actually find, which is obviously uh, you want them to find something and take it out if it's there to avoid getting cancer. But uh, you know that's only one part of it. Uh, colonoscopies are really sort of a, even a I would call it a third line of defense. The first line of defense would be um, primary prevention, so a healthy uh, diet and exercise uh, every day. So. That is the first line of defense, starting even at a young age. The second, uh, um, or the other part of that, of course, is uh, stopping smoking and uh, reducing alcohol consumption and so forth. So that's part of the Healthy Lifestyles program. The second part is getting screened, but getting screened doesn't necessarily mean starting off with a colonoscopy. It is the gold standard, but in Manitoba and every province across the country right now, we have either in, in, in full progress already or being enacted uh, a screening program that's based either on fecal occult blood testing as in Manitoba or fecal immunochemical, uh, immunochemical testing, which is a newer test that's coming uh, down the pipeline, so to speak. No pun intended. Actually, maybe pun intended. <laughs> well, Barry, you know what? We'll have to leave it there on that humorous note because we are unfortunately out of time. Barry D. Stein is the president of the Colorectal Cancer Association of Canada and Susanna Scott is our in-studio guest. Uh, her husband died as a result of colorectal cancer. All the best to you, Susanna, and in memory of James today, uh, we, we salute you. And can we end on a little bit of a humorous note? We had a suggestion from a listener at 7806868 that the flower for colorectal cancer should be a cactus because it is a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the news is up next.
2.34. Hope you're having a terrific Thursday. A little windy out there, a little cool. We try so hard not to harp on the weather, but it's so difficult in this part of the world. I always wonder what they talk about on the elevator in San Diego. You know, it's 70 <laughs> degrees every single day, and you get on the elevator, and you look at someone, ah, 70 again today. No, they're probably not doing that. So I, I've always wondered if people are just less friendly there, or they talk about the zoo or something else. <laughs> Carolyn Clausen is here, her weekly visit with us. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling with you until 4 o'clock. Then it's Julie and Richard. They'll uh, take you home 4 till 7. It's 65 in uh, San Diego right now, by the way. Oh, it's, it's chilly there today. <laughs> you might need to wear a sweater. 19 Celsius. Uh, We're Uh talking about the mental wellness routine that will change your life with Carolyn Clausen. Thanks for this idea, by the way. I just uh, I'm going to tell you how this went down because it it makes me laugh. Looked at Greg and said, "What are what are we going to do with Carolyn tomorrow?" So we we weren't sure. So I sent her an email. Hey, you got any ideas? She sends me this link. Says, "How about this?" I said, "Yep." That's efficiency. Easy I think there's peasy. about 13 words involved there in three emails. So it's good. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, the whole idea is we know that if you want to be physically fit, there's some components that are regard that just physical fitness just naturally includes. You want to eat properly, you want to exercise properly, you want to sleep well. Um, those are just things that if you want to be treat your body well, that's what you do. What we aren't always aware of is so if you want to have a healthy mind and a healthy emotional state. What are the things that you can do, just like you would do exercise and eat well for your body, what are things that you can do for your mind and your mental wellness in order for you to have, to be doing things that are physically advantageous for you and emotionally advantageous for you, that you can be healthy because you're taking care of your emotional health? You you know, you say that. Yeah. And most people will say, yeah, I can get their, uh, my mind wrapped around the idea of spending 20 minutes a day on my bicycle or 30 minutes a day on the treadmill. I can get my head around the idea of counting not necessarily my calories. Some people do do that. But being mindful. Of only of having pizza my, twice a week. Oh Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. But the idea. No agenda there, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> yes, only twice is, is, is fine. Dr. Greg says it, it, only twice is good, Brett. Um, the idea that, you know, you chart these things in terms of your emotional well-being, I think is going to be foreign to a lot of people. It is foreign. And and I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it today is just as we build deliberate, you know, I'm, I'm working, I have a step counter on my wrist and I work at being, you know, happy when I have a chance to walk across the parking lot because I have a sitting job, right? If I have an opportunity to walk a couple blocks, I'll choose that over taking the car because my step counter tells me as a discipline that it's good for my physical health to do certain things in order to help myself be healthier. And I think it's helpful for us to think about what are the things that we can build into our day that will help us to be emotionally healthier. And if we are aware of what those are and in little ways start to introduce those changes into our lives, we can change our mental health and the mental health of those around us as we sort of infect other people with our own well-being. And I think what we're talking about in a certain extent, to a great extent, is benchmarks. Okay. We create benchmarks in our everyday life all the time, right? Sure. Your uh, appointments with people are not never-ending. Right. There are a certain amount of time. Your routine includes sleep at a certain time of the day. Generally, you like a certain amount of time. We have certain things that we must do every day in order to feel complete. For me, it's shower, shave, brush my teeth, hopefully. Right. Uh, put de- remember to put deodorant on, right? We have all these benchmarks throughout the day to kind of make us go, yeah, I got my keys, I got my wallet, I got my iPhone, but we don't do that with with 
la tête and the and the gray matter in our in in between our right, ears. Right, and I think you would then have the ability to say, Greg, if I'm not feeling well, is it because I haven't been eating well? Do I need to get more sleep? What do I need to do to become more physically healthy? And I think the challenge is for us, and this isn't to minimize people with emotional mental health diagnoses at all, but this is for all of us to say when we're feeling down, are we recognizing the things that we could do that would make ourselves feel better? So is that part of then the first uh, thing on this list of five essential mental wellness activities that one can do, which is mindfulness? Mindfulness, yes, and because that's really what we've been talking about is being mindful. What are the things that are going on? What are the things when I'm feeling... When I'm feeling particularly upset or particularly nervous or particularly angry or anxious, how can I just sort of without judgment just say, what's really going on in here? What am I feeling and why am I feeling that? And what kind of choices do I want to make about how I'm feeling? And I, as I was you know, reading this article, I was reminded of another article that I read about a West Baltimore elementary school where when their kids dis- are disruptive in class and misbehave, instead of sending them for detention downstairs, they send them to a mindfulness room. And they have a chance to sit on a mat and they have a chance to smell lavender and hear lovely music, maybe have a snack. And they have a chance to just think about what's going on in their life and their behavior. And, oh, yeah, the reason why I hit that guy was because he picked on me. And the reason why he picked on me was because of this. Or the reason why it hurts so much is because sometimes I yell at myself for the same sorts of things. And how can I be kind to myself? How can I make different choices next time when someone picks on me? And what they're finding is that they're having way less discipline problems in the school when they send kids down for mindfulness to think about what they've done, not to be judgmental and to scold themselves, but to just to hold space of what was it that created that problem in the classroom and how might I do different things differently, that they're noticing that those kids in those school and that school and a lot of those kids have a lot of challenges, that they are getting support from their teachers and from themselves because they're understanding that their misbehavior towards their teacher or their classmate doesn't arise in isolation. It arises because of how they were upset when they came to school that morning because their parents fought or because they didn't have a proper breakfast and so they're hangry. So is that something we should do? Like just maybe when I get home from work today, just sit down and just kind of take five to ten minutes to just sort of decompress? Exactly. I think it's really, you know, what happened today and how am I feeling and where do those feelings come from? And if you can develop as a discipline, then when you really are upset or something, you're really feeling something powerful, then you have that as, it's just like you don't go exercise on the day when you feel like, oh, I'm feeling like I'm tired, I should go exercise to have more energy. You exercise as a discipline so that you have that strength for when you need it. And you practice mindfulness so that when you are especially upset, that you can say, oh yeah, I know how to do this. I can sort of dig what's underneath the anger while it's further disappointment or it's fear and you can take care of that. I know in the restaurant business on a Friday night when things were going a little crazy, <laughs> we would go in the cooler, literally go in the walk-in <laughs> cooler. Now, usually there was a beverage of some sort of um, strength outside of water or pop to try and help you deal with what you're dealing with, not admitting to drinking on the job. But the idea was that actually being in the cool air, even for two minutes, would actually give you a reprieve from what you were dealing with. Change of environment. Well, and I think the restaurant business is very competitive and it's very hot and you work really hard. And so the getting cool, physically getting cool, that's actually an act of self-compassion that says, what do I need to do to take care of my body and my mental health right now? Because I am overheating and I don't want to blow a gasket because if you blow a gasket, then you have more to deal with, right? How can I take care of myself before I blow up? Number two on this list, input the positive. Well, 
I this one it's it it's interesting for me to ask this of you, Brett, because you read the bad news every half hour. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. You spend your life um, looking at reading and deciding what stories to tell us, and generally the news stories aren't so much about positive stories. And I guess I wonder what that's like for you, where really your job is to live in the negative space. I always try to end a newscast with what's called a kicker. Okay. Something that is either lighthearted or not necessarily fluffy or overly happy, just something that isn't negative or something that isn't overtly like, I don't, because I don't like to end it on a downer. I like to try to find something that isn't sort of, oh, you know, where the whole newscast is a groaner. That's but, but I, I do that partly for myself. Okay. So I don't walk out of the booth depressed, but also for the benefit of our audience, because no one wants to listen to a newscast and they go, Well, the world's a horrible place. I'm moving to to Fiji. Okay. So you deliberately input the positive into the news. Yes. Okay. Which is a really interesting thing, right? You do that, you said, for yourself and for the listener to recognize that if we spend our sp- time, all our time in negative space, that's not a healthy thing. And I think one of the things, let me see if I have it here. Yes, I do. Um, I'm wondering if you, your listeners can't see, but I'm wondering if you can tell me what you see on that piece of paper. I see, uh, it was a, it's a white sheet of paper that's mostly blank, but there's a little black dot right in the middle right. of it. And isn't it interesting how your eye probably gets drawn to that black dot, mm-hmm. right? When 99.98% of that paper is white, it's the black bit that we're drawn to and that we notice. And I think we have to recognize that in our lives, we're all drawn towards the negative and the harsh and the bad news. And we tend to watch crime shows because they do something for us to sort of watch to see what happens with the crime shows. We watch, we listen to the news over and over and over again sometimes. And we have the favor of listening to it every half hour as we're listening to the radio station, right? We can live our lives in the negative space, which you can just imagine then pulls us down. And so part of mental health is to input the positive and find ways to um, find things that are positive and uplifting and looking for you know, to have a positive message on your screensaver, to find lines that inspire you, to spend time with people that make you happy, to when you go on a walk to look for the beauty. Sometimes when I have clients that are discouraged, not as a way to fix everything and have them be Pollyanna, but as a contrast, I'll say, I want you, when you come in from a week from now, take a, every day, take a picture of something that you're grateful or something that's beautiful or something that strikes you as wonderful and bring that in and show me the following week. Because what it has people do, instead of just looking for the black dots in their lives, it has them look for the beauty and they become beauty catchers instead of gravitating towards the negative, which we're inclined to do. How do we look for and find the positive, which is likely far more part of our world than the negative, except we often don't spend our space there. Don't, we don't att- we don't put our attention there. I will, I'll just, when I go for my walks, uh, it's usually the same route, but I always try to try to spot something new or something fun. Or sometimes I'll just, I'll see a squirrel sort of running up the tree and I'll just kind of stop and watch the squirrel goofing around. Cause it just takes, it takes, gives you that moment to just kind of go, Hey, this is world's a neat place. Sounds corny, but I hate saying corny things, but it's true. It's true, and it's beautiful, and I think it's really important for a guy who spends his life reading the bad news. It is 2.45. Your forecast is coming up next. Carolyn Claussen is with us. She is a therapist at Connexus Counseling. The website is connexuscounseling.ca. That's where you can read her blog. And we are talking about an article that she discovered, the, the mental wellness routine that will change your life and... 
I just want to quickly read this text before we get into the third item because, Carolyn, you were talking about how, hey, if you want to take care of your body, you do things, you get exercise, you eat well, you get proper sleep. And one of our listeners says, I don't get a good sleep at night because it's hard to sleep when the cat walks on your face at 2 a.m. because she wants to eat every single night. Uh, I can relate to that, to having had a cat once upon a time who liked to sleep on my face <laughs> sometimes. So apologies for that. Hope you can figure that out. But we're the first two things on this list were mindfulness and input the positive. The third thing is self-compassion. Talk about that. Well, self-compassion recognizes that it's often when we are going through a hard time, when somebody has said something nasty to us or been critical of us, that we often start getting, we, we feel hurt by that. And when we feel hurt, we start blaming ourselves for feeling hurt. Or when we're anxious, we get anxious about being anxious rather than saying, and, and we would never say that or be that way with a friend who was struggling with something. We would show them kindness and compassion and we would be able to work to improve the situation because we were kindly and kindly compassionate to them. Why don't we do that for ourselves? Why wouldn't we talk to ourselves like we would talk to a friend that we care about? How can we recognize that when we struggle with something, it's because all people struggle. It's not because you're, you've done something uniquely bad. And some, I make a deliberate practice. Um, and sometimes my husband will catch me speaking really harshly to myself and he'll say, Carolyn, and then I'll, I'll have to do this exercise. Okay, so if my friend was thinking about this right now, what would I say to her? And I practice saying what I would say to her, and then I can say it to myself because it doesn't come automatically to talk to myself like I would talk to a good friend. One of my good friends, born and raised, French community, speaking French, been in Winnipeg for over a decade, confessed to me not that long ago, he sometimes still will hear something in English, translate it in French, formulate his answer in French, translate it to English, and then spit it out. So, I ask you this. Do you actually have those conversations with yourself where you press pause and have that little conversation with yourself? I actually do, yeah. Because sometimes I'll say, hear myself saying, Carolyn, you idiot, why did you do such a dumb thing? And then I'm like, oh, but I wouldn't say that to a friend. What would I say to my friend who was struggling with this? Oh, man, it's hard to try so hard and not pull it off as well as you'd like to. That's not easy. And so then I do that to myself and it actually does help. And, and I, part of it is because I'm a therapist, I have to hold myself accountable to the kinds of things I talk about with my clients, right? So if I expect them to be kinder to themselves, I have to be working on it. And it's not easy. It's a constant discipline, but it really does matter. So I, I try to, I exercise that like I would exercise my, my physical body. I exercise that as, a, as an emotional discipline. I know we've got two more to get through here. Yes. Self-compassion can be small though too, right? Like one of my favorite things is like... Uh, new sheets on the bed you know making the bed and cleaning the room it sounds like a chore but there's nothing like on a Sunday after a long week you're getting ready for a long week ahead and you go in and the room is just it's just perfect and you get into the bed and the nice clean sheets and when you know what makes you feel good Greg why wouldn't you do more of those things totally <laughs> yeah. totally loving others is number four Yes, when we take care of others, it does good things to our brain, as simple as that. And I think, I don't know, probably often you have people on your show here where they'll talk about how they volunteered somewhere and they say, oh, I get a lot more out of it than what I other people get from me probably. And people don't recognize the value of volunteering, of pitching in, of helping your neighbor, of saying hello to a total stranger, because it does something for you. When you give to others, you get back in a very concrete way. It's a very good mentally healthy thing to do. It starts to feel selfish after a while. <laughs> it really does. I had a board meeting last night, something that we do every year, and we had an incredible event last year, and it was like, 
I'm starting to feel guilty about this because <laughs> I'm feeling really good about what we're doing. And I might be feeling better than anybody who benefits from this. That was a genuine thought I had for a fleeting moment last night. Well, and I just think that speaks to the power of how important it is that we give to others because when we give to others, we get back. And when and when we allow others to give to us, they get something out of it too. Well, and they say there's no such thing as a truly selfless act, right? We do things because it makes us feel good. We want to help because it makes us feel good. Helpers high. So, I've heard of the runners high, but... So don't feel guilty, Greg. Okay, I won't. Showing you self-compassion. I will, I will uh, be more mindful. Uh, for number five is physical wellness. Our emotional well-being is tied to our bodies, right? Our brains attached to our bodies through our necks and our, we feel our feelings in our bodies. And so if we want to feel good in our mental health, we need to look after our physical bodies. Um, our brains are machines that operate off of nutrients that we have to make sure we eat. Um, when our bodies are physically healthier, our circulation is better and our, our mood can be better. And it's counterintuitive because often when we're feeling mentally down, it's hard to take care of our physical bodies and you get a bit of a chicken and egg thing going, right? But the chicken and egg thing can go the other way that as we are start, we are, as we are a little better to our bodies and our mental health improves because of it, then we're able to be better to our bodies and so forth. And it's hard to turn that ship around, but it is possible with deliberate practice and often you need to get support and often you need to recognize and be compassionate towards yourself when you try and you don't do well and you have to try to press restart and do again the next day. That's the big thing about mental health is to recognize that as though we've been talking about mental health, um, like these are practices that can make a difference that people don't beat themselves up when they are still struggling because that would, that's not fair or kind either. Well, Rick J has just sent a text message that ties into with a lot of what you're talking about, Carolyn. Uh, Rick J says, hey, Brett, do you focus on the positive shots in golf? If you're like me, even though they're few and far between. Uh, Rick, uh, to be honest, I know that I should, but generally I spend most of the four hours yelling at myself and saying how, how bad I am at golf and why do I play this stupid game and I'm a stupid person and so on and so on. I should throw my clubs in the LaSalle River. So read this article again before you go golfing. <laughs> and yet you're clamoring for this activity. This is fun. And to spend five, six, seven hours a week doing this. Yeah. Brett, we need to turn off the lights. We need a couch in here. We're, we I really need, need to dig a little deeper, I think. I need a walk-in cooler, it sounds like, as well. <laughs> Carolyn Clausen, thank you so much for joining us. You can reach her through connexuscounseling.ca. That's where she is, a therapist at Connexus Counseling. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. I keep my affection for Saskatchewan out in the open. You know how much I love Saskatchewan, Brett. Oh, yeah, you love it. Mm -hmm. You love it. I do. I don't. But I've also confessed the fact that I am... Uh, very jealous of some of the things that Saskatchewan does and they've managed to do over the last decade or so. So uh, if you ever hear me speaking ill of Saskatchewan, it's mostly out of jealousy and envy, except when it comes to their football team. And even then, it uh, comes down to the 2007 Grey Cup, the only Grey Cup played between the two teams. And of course, the Green Riders beat us, us being the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in that game. So uh, you can say all the things you could possibly want to say against the Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. As a Blue Bomber fan, they just look at you and they just all they have to say is 2007. One game boils it all down. <laughs> we can have 10 great cups, they can have three, but they have the one that we played against one another for. Another city that we have a little bit of a rivalry with, okay. I think is Vancouver. 
Because there's a lot of people from Winnipeg who pined to move to Vancouver. There's lots of people who do move from Winnipeg to Vancouver, including our good friend Charles Adler. We know all about the weather. Vancouver rated one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Never, you know, never mind Canada. It's an amazing, incredible place to live. Doesn't mean we don't have pride in where we live here in Winnipeg. And that kind of came to fruition on Twitter between the RCMP here in Manitoba, and the Vancouver police, kind of a humorous And the exchange. Winnipeg police. And the Winnipeg police gout, I know that as well. So how did this start? Vancouver started it out of the blue on Monday evening. This from the National Post, by the way. Started out of the blue on Monday evening. The city's police force took an unprovoked jab at the Keystone province. Dear Manitoba, we're sorry to hear you're still having snow. Sincerely, hashtag Vancouver. P.S. Did anyone mention we're hiring? Read a post on the official Vancouver Police Twitter account against summertime images of the city's downtown. But a red surge defender of Manitoba soon emerged. Said, it's okay, the snow melts quickly off the lawns of our affordable houses. Sincerely, RCMP Manitoba as the MT, uh, the uh, RCMP here in Manitoba kind of uh, shot back. And then there were some pictures uh, and, a, and a French post of a house in Vancouver listed for $1,088,000 and a house listed in Winnipeg for $549,900. One's palatial, double-attached garage, looks about three, four years old, all the room you could want. Uh, that one is in Winnipeg, imagine. And the one in Vancouver... Uh, it looks like it's on about a 30-foot lot. It's probably got a basement suite in it, maybe about a seven, 800-foot bungalow. Yeah, it doesn't look very nice. Uh, Winnipeg police also got in on it by saying, hey, at Vancouver PD, is this what your weather channel looks like every day? And it's just a, a gif of Family Guy. I can't remember the weatherman's name, but it's him saying, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. <laughs> So anyway, the, the, it went back and forth, and uh, so uh, good on A, the Winnipeg police for getting in on it, but more so, I want to give a shout out to the Mounties in Manitoba, because let's face it, Mounties, uh, those in the RCMP, aren't necessarily from Manitoba. You get moved across the country, right? Mm -hmm. And so for RCMP officers to so staunchly stand up for Manitoba is, is a big deal, because a lot of them probably aren't even from here. Sorry, I'm just getting distracted by a text message from Dave. Uh, he you says, can be distracted. How good is the internet? A car hit a major line somewhere in Canada. Shaw has no internet anywhere they operate. That's uh, a bold proclamation, Dave. We'll have to look into that. But oh, my. That uh, that could be interesting. Uh, if you're a Shaw customer and you have no internet, please let us know at 204-780-6868. But, yes, this, uh, this Vancouver, the rivalry between Winnipeg police, I'm just going, I see another tweet here that Vancouver police responded to the Mounties saying, yeah, rain, we get rain and housing can be expensive, but it gives us something to talk about, hashtag mosquito free. <laughs> and then they... They have a picture here, which is great. It says, Bike to Work Manitoba, and it's a picture of a young woman. Uh, she's pushing her, her bike through three feet of snow. Uh, it says, Bike to Work Manitoba, Vancouver. It's a guy... 
riding his bike in the rain. So good for them for doing that. Commuting Manitoba, it looks like an apocalyptic parking lot of 100 cars on a highway covered in six feet of snow. And commuting Vancouver, it's people in kayaks riding along, uh, uh, I guess, a river. I'm not familiar with the waterways in downtown yeah, Falls Vancouver. Creek or Fraser River. This one right here? Yeah, that would. Uh, that might not even be. If it's Vancouver. Oh, yeah, it is. That's the Granville Bridge. Okay. Yeah, that's Falls Creek right uh, in around BC Place there. Okay. Granville Island, etc. Edmonton got in. On this too, by the way. Yeah, Edmonton. As a Winnipeg get, Jets fan, you probably would not be. Bent Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> so they referred to them because Vancouver uh, police mm-hmm. took a shot at Edmonton mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So Edmonton re- replied by describing themselves as the city of champions. Of course. Does that bring up any bad blood for you, Greg? Mm, just a tiny bit. Yeah? Is it inherent that all Winnipeg Jets fans despise the Edmonton Oilers? Oh, it's not just Jets fans. It's Bomber fans, too. Because the, some of the best Blue Bomber teams were over the five-year period from 79 to 83 when the Eskimos, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, when the Eskimos won five straight Grey Cups. It's when the Blue Bombers had Dieter Brock, and they were... You know, if not for the Eskimos, the best team in the Canadian Football League. So uh, it's not just the Jets, it's the Blue Bombers, too. That disdain for Edmonton sports teams uh, originates, for me, goes back as far as 1978, 1979. I kind of derailed where Greg was going with this, and I apologize to Greg. It's okay, Uh, man. We're going to pause the conversation and get to it in a moment. I just want to quickly say that Audrey has texted to say, My Shaw Wi-Fi seems fine. Another text says, Internet fine here in EK. Dave says that he called Shaw, and that's what was told to him. So we're trying to figure out what's going on, if anything. Our internet's good here at 680 CJOB, too. I'm going to bet we have Shaw. I would hope so. I would hope so, too. Wouldn't it be funny if we didn't? (laughs) It would. (laughs) We're we're on Escape. Remember Escape? (laughs) This is AOL. 315. You have mail. (laughs) Traffic and weather together next. Brad, I have breaking news. Six degrees. Six degrees, thank We're you. Up a degree, bro. Yeah, I guess. Don't guessed. don't take that degree away from us. I guessed. It's precious. I didn't have it open. It's precious. Well, precious. Hey, just gotta give you an update on the Shaw business. Uh, because we got that text from Dave saying no internet. Uh thirty minutes this is from thirty minutes ago from Shaw. Internet, Wi-Fi, TV, and phone outage in progress. Some customers nationally may be experiencing an interruption to Internet, TV, and home phone services. Shaw says they're working on the situation and working to restore service as quickly as possible. And, of course, they apologize for any inconvenience this may cause. We had that text message from someone saying, Internet fine here in EK, but I got an email from Brian in West K who says, I have no Internet. Sheila says, it's true. No Shaw. My mom's reading an actual book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jeff just sent us a text. Shaw internet and phone out in Waverly Heights. May they rot in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff's words, not ours. (laughs) Sometimes I think we could do without oxygen for longer than we could do without cable TV and internet. I can remember the internet goes down or... Or a cable goes down, and I can remember you go out, you go out into the street, and you you look around, and is anybody else's TV on? It's like you're in the wilderness, right? It's like the worst thing that could possibly happen is that the cable television, and now you throw the internet on it. How dare they? At least you still have internet from your phone if it's in your hand. That's true. You can still get the internet if you have your phone handy. 3G extreme, baby.
Uh, micro suites in Vancouver, yeah. renting for seventeen hundred dollars a month. We went and uh, outlined, recapped that back and forth between Vancouver police and the RCMP here in Winnipeg. Those uh, <clears throat> those those in Edmonton got involved as well. And uh, here's a story that kind of ties it all together. A new building in Vancouver is getting a lot of attention on social media. New micro suites or micro condos are under construction in the Strathcona neighborhood, which is made up of the downtown east side and False Creek flats. The homes will be available starting August, August the 1st, but they're getting attention because, Brett, are you ready? They're $1,700 a month. You know how big they are? How big are they? It's so big. 400 square feet. Well, that's, okay, that's definitely small for that price. But there's, remember that thing that's going up in Osborne Village? That 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 is true. Where they want to re, they want to put those micro apartments in where, the, I guess, the zoo, the, the the Osborne Village Hotel used to be. What's it, was it called? Osborne Village Inn? Yes. It would be really cool to say that. You live in the zoo, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, the zoo is the bar, one of the bars that was there. But they're talking about uh, suites that are 275 to 450 square feet with rents spanning 975 to $1,400. Interesting. But they are, I believe these suites are furnished, the ones that are going to be in Osborne Village. Oh. But still, 1400 bucks for 450 square feet in Winnipeg versus... 1700 for 400 in Vancouver. When you're looking at False Creek, you could jump in your kayak, kayak to work. Normally, I'm the Winnipeg booster, but I don't know. We're going to have to continue this in a few <laughs> moments, but we do need to pause for traffic, weather, sports, and news all up next. How did you say that? <laughs> well, before I say it. No, say it. Okay, I'll say it first. St. James No TV. <laughs> you may be in Fort Richmond, East Kildonan, North Kildonan. West Kildonan. West Kildonan in the Osborne Village. Uh, Shaw is apologizing to its customers who may be suffering from home phone, cable, internet, internet you name it. It may be out. Uh, doesn't mean you are out of those products right now. It just means some of you may be suffering outages as we speak, and they're working on it. And we got one that says St. James No TV, or but it's all one lumped word. together in one word. So Greg thought, is that... A Russian word? It's kind of Russian. St. James, no TV. I don't know how to do a Russian. You did it very well. Uh, Shaw out in Fort Richmond and Bridgewater. And I think we had Waverly Heights, West Kildonan. So there are outages throughout the city and I believe throughout the country. So uh, just if you have are experiencing an outage, let us know at 204 780 6868. We got stuff to give away. I, I like this music. I was going to say, you didn't change the music today. No, I'm going to keep this one until I forget about it sooner or later. This week, every day, we have been giving away tickets for the Rondex Rodorama Car Show, which is happening this weekend at East End Arena. In order to go, you need to be able to come pick these tickets up, by the way, by 4.30 at the latest tomorrow afternoon. We've been talking about rods all week. The Rod and Todd from The Simpsons in Rod We Trust. And uh, we did Ramrod on Monday. We did. Talking about rods and hot rods, of course. How can we we almost forget? I almost forgot the hot rod himself. Talking about Rowdy Roddy Piper. You want to see me fight? The first thing you got to do, put Grandma to bed. Make sure she's comfy. Go make yourself a bologna sandwich. Bring her on down. Watch me squish a couple of worms. Bob Orton and Jimmy Hart, the Ichabod train of pro wrestling. Oh, no, no. It won't be a pretty sight. 
but I will be when it's finished. Don't ask me why. I was watching old videos of Saturday night's main event last night while I was <laughs> working on the couch. Potatoes. Have you got the, the, the World Wrestling Channel? No. Oh. No, I was here. I was at work just watching oh. old videos okay. of Saturday Do night's main event. Do we have the World Wrestling Channel? Yeah, you can get WWE. You have to pay for it. It's an extra. It's extra? It's a subscription channel. Oh, but never, never mind. But if you get the subscription, I think it's eight bucks a month and you get access to all their pay-per-views. And if you're a fan, it's a good deal. Today's question concerns the late Roddy Piper, specifically his family. Piper died two years ago at age 61. He was unable to complete his memoir, so his son and daughter took up that task. Greg and I interviewed his son last year. He's a really cool guy. Your question is simple. What is his name, his full name? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. What is the full name of Roddy Piper's son? If you know the answer, you're going to the Rodorama car show. So while we're waiting for Jeff to find us a winner. We were talking about those micro apartments in Vancouver mm-hmm. and in Osborne Village. Yes. Yeah, East Vancouver. That was used to be like the last vestige of being able to afford a home. And it looks like that's up in smoke now, too. Oh. So no matter where you want to live in the lower mainland, plain and simple, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. But people will continue to move there. Uh, people apparently are flocking to Barcelona, Spain. Planning a summer vacation, here's the headline. Think twice before booking several destinations. If you're planning a trip abroad this summer, better make sure that where you plan on traveling is still accepting tourists. <laughs> oh, no. That's because many places in Europe, Southeast Asia, Asia, South America, and East Africa are putting measures in place to limit the number of tourists they welcome every year. If only Winnipeg could have a problem like this. <laughs> Some even are going as far as banning tourists altogether. Wow. One recent place to impose limits on tourism is Barcelona, Spain. According to Time magazine, Barcelona had an estimated 32 million tourists visit the city last year alone. Because of the steady influx of travelers to the area over the years, more and more hotels and tourist hotspots have been popping up, which has caused property taxes to soar and locals to flee. They're... As much as their tourism industry is growing, their population is actually shrinking. Barcelona's resident population has dipped from just over 3 million in 1991 to 1.6 million. So how about that? They're preventing uh, new construction of hotels. So far, Barcelona has put the brakes on any new hotels from opening in the center of the city. Even if an existing hotel closes, Barcelona will also start imposing the highest property taxes on vacation apartments and will no longer be approving licenses for new vacation apartments. That's crazy. Isn't that something? We understand that people love our city, but we're becoming a tourist theme park. Every time a grocery store closes, a souvenir shop takes its place. Well, and and it's shocking. 32 million people, that's practically the entire population of Canada. Great point. one city. Every year. Good math and very observant of you. I think that's roughly what they get in Las Vegas a year. I think it's about 30 million. Yeah. And I think Disneyland welcomes something like, uh, I want to say 18 million people a year, but 32 million for (laughs) the size of Barcelona. You would think they'd be able to handle that. But I also suspect that that's in condensed times, et cetera. And I mean, hey, these people are experiencing this. So if they're trying to put the brakes on the number of people coming to visit, they obviously have good reason to do so. I don't think they do that uh, just 
for fun. I wonder what it's like being in a, a hot spot for tourists. If you happen to just live in Las Vegas or Barcelona or whatever, and you see these millions of tourists every day, does it just become part of like the local wildlife? You know what I mean? Like if I see a deer running along a street somewhere in Charles, but I don't bat an eye. So no. maybe if you're in Las Vegas and you see somebody wearing a funny shirt and oh, looking they... around, they're lost. Where are we taking pictures? Do you... Do you even bother getting annoyed by it anymore? In Banff, they had a great name for tourists. And it was kind of an insider joke for people who lived and worked in Banff. And it's not Gawker. It wasn't that obvious. I know there's people listening right now that have lived and worked in Banff. Can you text me and Brett the name that people in Banff used to give to tourists, and maybe they still do. It's a slang, and it's kind of an inside joke amongst people who lived and worked in Banff, uh, lifties and and uh, people who worked in the hotel and the restaurant and bar business in Banff. I just can't think of what it is right now. Keith Weary, by the way, congratulations to Keith, is our winner of the Rod Arama Tickets for this weekend at East End Arena, who correctly answered the question, what is the name of Rowdy Roddy Piper's son and his son's name? We spoke to him last year. Uh, Two answers would have been acceptable, either Colt Baird Tombs or Colton Baird Tombs. Colt co-wrote the book Rowdy with his sister Ariel Teal Tombs, and of course they are the children of Roderick George Tombs, or a.k.a. Rowdy Roddy Piper, the Hot Rod, who was born in Saskatoon. 346 on 680 CJOB. Traffic and weather together. Next. 349. Ah, ah, ah. Uh, I don't know why I started talking like, like the, the count. count all of a sudden. Julie Buckingham is here. Richard Cluche is not. He's coming. I'm Wait guessing, for Twinkle Toes to come down the hallway. Oh, You'll hear him. He's not Twinkle Toes. He exactly. Not light on his, oh, I get it. It's like calling a bald guy curly. There you go. I just got that. I'm not the <laughs> She's sharpest. She's taking a shot at her co-host. I'm not the sharpest knife in me. the drawer. Yeah. He'll be able to hear you in about 30 seconds. Oh, wait, but he'll be in here. Perfect. So what's happening uh, starting at what? You guys actually take some of our time, so we'll call it, what, 357. What starts at 357? We take some of your time. How we, so? We do. Well, you do that business thing before 4 o'clock. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to talk about, obviously, the expansion at Red River College. Very exciting news for the downtown. We'll also continue the discussion on, you guessed it. Are you sure? Portage in Maine. Right. And, and I Tread think... carefully. Well, I think... Richard has set this up in a a great way. I'm about to say something very complimentary. Uh, I love what we have planned. He has planned. And uh, we'll have a little debate by a couple of bees and we'll have a bell. We've got the bell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And by the way, Julie, you look fantastic today. Thank you. Yeah. Twinkle toes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So this is the 68 second debate that we will have. And you have 68 seconds to state your case. On the given topic, pro and anti, and then you'll be able to weigh in on text message at 780-6868. Who gets the 68 seconds? They each get 68 seconds. Who's each? Um, You'll have to tune in just after five. (laughs) 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 Look at him. He's so upset. I'm over here. All right. Uh, I'll wait. We'll, we'll we'll chat about that and um Oh, you met somebody very handsome today, by the way. 
Yes. Uh, somebody or a couple of people handsome every single day about this no, time. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you. Thank you. I'm going to tell you right now. But he can sing. This guy <laughs> blows the three of us away. Oh, completely and totally. Actually, I was only talking about two of us, but that's okay, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This guy uh, can sing. Yeah, he can <laughs> sing. He can sing opera. Oh, I'm intrigued. Verta. Okay. Ver- that's his name. No, John Tessier plays his name. Yes. the the lead in uh, the opera that opens up on Saturday night, mm. and we have the opportunity to speak with him a the little bit earlier. Ah, you beat me to the punch. <laughs> I was just going to say it. <laughs> the opportunity. Oh, very the good, very clever. Thank I you. thought you were talking about Alex Ponovic, who was in in the station this morning, but I I don't think you were here. No, I was By not. By the time Al uh, left, he was on with Shadow this morning for about an hour. I know Alex has tons of fans and friends here in Winnipeg. Sure he does. So yeah, go on guy. to our Omni Channel and you can uh, catch that uh, interview. So, so lots coming up. Okay. okay. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, thank you very we much. We shall not take any more of your time. Looking I believe for- you have 30 seconds. Well, Go. we have a mystery solved. I was trying to remember the name, kind of the slang terminology that the uh, lifties and the bartenders and restaurant people in Banff would give to tourists. Okay. And I said, somebody out there has to know 10 people. Like, yeah, hello, Gorby. Oh, it starts out, and there's a couple different origins, potentially. One is guy on rental board, goof on rental boards, or girls on rental boards is a Gorby. And there are maybe a couple other explanations, Brett? Well, the, where was it here? What does the Y have to do with being on a rental board? Well, the well, one like origin. E, right? You're oh, a Gorby. Okay. One yeah. origin is that uh, the slang term was coined by the wife of a Lake Louise businessman who thought the tourists she passed on the Trans-Canada Highway often looked bored, barren, soulless, and devoid of life. So she called them gobies in reference to the Gobi Desert. But the term got corrupted over time into gorbies. So it's just one of those mystery things, perhaps like Halloween apples. Where did that come from? And does it it matter? No, it's just fun. I I knew. I was trying to think of, because Barcelona is Uh actually like, Banning tourists, and it got me wondering. That does not surprise me because it's so packed. When you and, travel internationally, yeah, I don't know if you've traveled internationally, but well, I, Grand Forks is international. Uh, isn't true it? enough. Uh, I always found that that the Spanish they wanted to like butt in line and oh oh weren't weren't so nice. Julie Buckingham at cgob.com. <laughs> well, no, it's true. I, so now they're banning them in their own city. Well. No, they're not banning. They, they don't want you coming back. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. You can come back tomorrow here, but you're not allowed in Barcelona. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Jeff Forte and Master Control. The news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham is up next on 680 CJOB.